3: Hey everyone, welcome to the 339th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Debbie Bradshaw, Luke Cheney, and Sean Wenning. I'm Oren Kaplan.
1: And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we're talking fake trailers, how to shoot them, the ins and outs, and all of the fun of pretending like you shot a whole movie when in fact you only shot the little bits and pieces that would go into a trailer. There's a lot of good reasons why someone would want to make a fake trailer, whether that's for a proof of concept or a crowdfunding campaign or a parody or comedic purposes Oren and i have done that a handful of times actually over the years it used to be orin's bread and butter as you said off mic and i just shot one this week so i thought uh, let's talk about fake trailers but before we do that Oren, yes i've been dying to know what have you been working on lately
3: well matt thank you for asking i've been pitching and i've been doing a lot of vfx work it was a pretty fun pitch but there was the client Is really sensitive to basically that the client, what they make is illegal to sell to children. It's not cigarettes. We're pitching on a comedic commercial and they really want to make sure it does not seem like it appeals to kids. But the concept is kind of fantastical and youth-like and might remind you of like a Pixar
1: movie. I can think of a category, you know, your vices, right? Your your lottery tickets, alcohol brands, things like that. Uh, Cigarettes, vapes. Is it in that category? Yes. You've actually named the product. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Good, good. Um, it's but it's not, not like.
3: It's not in cigarettes or vapes though.
1: Gotcha. Okay, great.
3: Anyway, so I needed to reference, you know, movies and other things that had kind of this heightened reality and fun elements in them, but that do not appeal to kids. I think I might've mentioned this to you. I, you know, I've always done my treatments in pages, Apple pages. And then if I work with a treatment designer, they usually use InDesign or something, but I've kind of realized that everyone wants to see video, like wants to see something moving, right? Mm -hmm. That PDF document that just has a bunch of beautiful stills. Maybe it's good for like a lifestyle shoot or something. I don't know. Something super technical, but. You're saying though that
1: just GIFs and embedded videos are the lingua franca of decks.
3: Well, we're pitching moving pictures. And let's say you're pitching against two other directors and the other two directors. One of them makes like a cool video and a proof of concept or something for the commercial. One of them makes this incredible deck, like living deck that's animated and has all these cool Mm -hmm. movie clips and maybe edited like a reel of like favorite moments or something from movies that remind him of this commercial or her of this commercial. And then you're coming and you just have a PDF document with some like beautiful images and really great writing, but it's just very static. You're already starting from a losing place a little bit. And especially in the world of comedy, I think, you know, having like a little animated something or other like an animated gif yeah yeah, can really help sell tone sell mood sell visuals i agree i've been leaning in on animated gifs yeah and it's annoying because they're like 30
1: megabytes for the worst quality two second clip you've ever seen significantly more work you know like all of a sudden now i'm like okay well i'm downloading a youtube video And then Mm -hmm. I'm editing it, and then using GIF Gum, which is a previous uh, uh, unpaid endorsement of yours, to like animate it. So my workflow for it is: I
3: download movies, TV shows, commercials, whatever videos that I make myself, even, and I put them all in Adobe Premiere. When
1: you say videos you make yourself, do you mean you animate something in After Effects or Premiere or something like that, or you mean you shoot something?
3: I shoot something, or I use stuff for my own spots, or I use like an animatic. Like a lot of times in my treatments, I like to talk about the process because. When you're working for a client on something that you did not write, and I I imagine this would be the same with like a studio too, if you're pitching a movie or something, they want to know that you're collaborative, right? Mm -hmm. They want to know how you work. And it depends. Maybe if you're like, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson or something, people just want you to go and do your own thing and they don't care how you do it. They just want, Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, the rest of us that are more like working you know, all together and listening and taking notes and input and everything. We want to show people that like our process is really open to input from the the invested parties. And so a lot of times in my treatments, I talk about how I make animatics or how I make storyboards or how I do various things mm-hmm. to show them what it's going to look like to make sure that when we're on set, people aren't like, oh, what? No, we can't shoot it like that because mm-hmm. on set, we don't have time to completely change things. So I take my animatics or I'll do things like that and I'll put them in the, in my treatment like on a page on process or on how it's going to go down or how we're going to pull this off Mm -hmm.
1: do you ever recycle any of those assets
3: yeah i mean i've done so i did this like five gum commercial where this twitch influencer lily pichu she's playing this video game the avengers video game there's this character in it kamala khan that she like hits the ground really hard with her giant fist and uh in the commercial like it shakes the entire room and everything goes flying up in the air in slow motion and the way I shot it, and if anyone follows me on Instagram, I'm sure they saw, is I just had everyone on the crew, like, pick up an item in the room, and I just rotoscoped them all out, you know, in post to make it look like things are flying in the air. But anyway, so I take all these videos, I put them in Premiere, and then I just set in and out points, you know, and just export animated GIFs from Premiere. You
1: export GIFs through Premiere rather than using GIF gun? And
3: for for treatments. I would use a GIF yeah. gun if I was making a GIF for my website. Somewhere mm-hmm. where I care about how fast it takes to load Uh, because gif gun can make like a great looking six megabyte gif and then premiere that same gif would be 16 megabytes yeah but with a treatment that i'm putting on google slides like a slideshow or a deck that's made on google online um it can be a 20 megabyte gif because uh first of all i think the way google slides works is it preloads all the remaining pages Mm -hmm. so you just have to if you're looking at the first page it's already loading the gifs of the on the second and third page. So it's just, I think, a more acceptable way to look at a document. Like, I would never send anyone a PDF that's 200 megabytes. But I would send them a link to a Google deck that had 500 megabytes worth of animated GIFs in it if it's spread out on enough pages. Does that make sense? It does.
1: It begs the question,
3: why aren't we just using InDesign? First of all, InDesign's just much more complicated. Mm -hmm. Like, changing fonts and things like that is... You know, you kind of set up like this is my header font. This is my title font. This is my caption font. And sometimes you want to change one and it's changing everything else. And you have to unlink and relink. And it's just it's complicated. The second thing is with the Google Doc, which I love, like I can work on my laptop. I go to my desktop. It's on my desktop. I can look at it on my phone and you can send a link to it and update it like, oh, shoot, we got to change this thing out. You can update it like underneath people's having the link.
1: You don't have to say, like,
3: please ignore that last PDF file. Here's a new one.
1: I think you can do that with InDesign as well. I think you can oh, send with the live, live links. Yes. Yeah, I think you can. Yeah. Yeah. But then uh, also, but yeah,
3: totally. yeah, you have to package it. I mean, I've done so many treatments where, like, the treatment designer's like, oh, I'm having an issue with InDesign right now. Right, do you have it? Right. Can you export this? Anyway, so InDesign is great. InDesign is way better. If I was doing, like, a feature film movie pitch that I was taking to movie stars and top Mm -hmm. Hollywood agencies and stuff, I would probably probably do do that. But Google deck, Google slides, I can go much faster and I can, um, like already, like even before I finish my writing, I just have my pages laid out. I send Mm -hmm. it to the producer who's like trying to figure out the budget and he's already, um, like looking through my things and even giving me notes before I'm even like done. So I, I like it. So I needed to find a scene where somebody is like sneaking in, to a house that was comedic but not creepy made for children not targeted oh. at children <laughs> uh so i called you and you didn't answer and then i called andy young
1: mm-hmm.
3: because he's uh you know been on the podcast and he's like a film encyclopedia and he had some good recommendations like ace ventura mm-hmm. uh, and a couple other movies but i realized if you go to giphy.com the animated giphy Gip- is the secret weapon for yeah sure. and all you you not to pull the gifs, actually to get ideas from where to pull the gifs. So I typed in "sneak" and it's like, here's this funny scene from Shits Creek. Here's a funny scene mm-hmm. from Arrested Development. Here's a funny mm-hmm. scene
1: from. This you can movie. even pull those gifs sometimes, but I like the idea of being like, oh, reverse engineering, going back to the Shits Creek episode or whatever, right? If you oh, can yeah. find it, yeah. Shits Creek
3: clearly not a kids show, mm-hmm. also very funny, and also mm-hmm. has scenes of people sneaking around. You know,
1: mm-hmm. yeah.
3: Um, so it's kind of this this. Idea I got like use Giphy to figure out which movies mm-hmm. have a good like car upside down scene, you know, whatever right. it yeah. is, um, because it, it's like a searchable image library of pop 100%. culture.
1: Yeah. So,
3: Love that.
2: To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. loss.
1: Well, before we talk about me, Oren, I know that you're also doing a lot of VFX, and off of uh, the mic before we started rolling, we were talking about a few of the shots that you're working on, and it made me wonder if you could throw out three tips for novice or just for filmmakers on how to make your VFX shots. Better once you get them into post. What are the three? There's three no nos that you named to me, just in the moment, basically, that are, that may seem obvious to people who do VFX, but may not be for people who uh, don't do them.
3: Well, so this movie I'm working on, there's a lot of screens, and I'm, I'm going to mm-hmm. talk
1: about production things. Is that what you mean? Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah, yeah. When when you're in the field, yeah. things to make it easier on your VFX artist. So don't shoot with the screens off. Yep. That's a great one. Uh, Right. I have made that mistake myself and made you do the shot and we ended up reshooting them instead. It was much, much, much easier to reshoot them.
3: Wait, sorry. But just to be sorry. there's actually more specificity. If you're Mm -hmm. outdoors shooting someone looking like at a phone, Mm -hmm. then you can shoot with the screen off. If you can shoot with the screen just with white on it, that's great. If people are interacting and crossing in front of the screen and you can shoot it with green on it. It could be helpful as long as that green isn't making everything else in the scene green. Mm-hmm. So exterior, daytime, it can be off, would be okay. White screen. Uh,
1: I'm going to put a, a big caveat with having the screen off yes. during, in the day or, or wherever. Um, because this is the problem that I ran up against. At the time I had an iPhone 10. There's no tracking mark. It's just a black mirror. Pun intended. And so you don't know where the screen starts or ends. There's nothing to track onto. It's just one solid surface. So if it was off, what would you do then, Oren?
3: Yeah, as long as the shot
1: encompasses
3: all four corners of the phone or there's a hand holding it and the hand is not moving, I, can use, I would use the hand to track the shot and the corners of the phone. But yeah, that, it is hard to determine where the screen starts and where it ends if you have a black bezel. Uh, around your screen, uh, which is why just a white screen on is really great. Uh, and again, green is great also, as long as it is not coloring other things in the scene green, which it wouldn't exterior daytime. Mm -hmm. If you're nighttime interior or nighttime exterior, the monitor now, or the screen becomes like a light source. And that's why it's really important to have it on because otherwise the lighting is completely wrong once you put the screen in there. Uh, and also having it on is a great reference for the visual effect artist to know how bright things are. And it's an mm-hmm. even greater reference for the cinematographer to know what aperture they should be using on the camera. Like what, what exposure the camera is set to to make sure that the screen is not blowing out. Mm-hmm. Um, and otherwise you're starting to make, if they shoot it with the screen off indoors, it's really dark. And then you add a screen, but nothing is lit. It would it just it, looks.
1: Yeah, wrong. it just looks yeah.
3: fake. In reality, it would be so bright because of the camera, the exposure is so high that it would be just fully blown out. But now you're obviously not making it blown out because you're the VFX artist and you can make it legible. So anyway, long story short, uh, have the screen on in like in dark environments is my yeah. recommendation.
1: That's a good recommendation. And it also brings up a major pet peeve of mine that I'm, I'm trying to grapple with. And that's that. I shoot a lot of commercials, and oftentimes, most of the time, in fact, I'm shooting a phone screen both as an insert and it's in their hands. I shoot a lot of phones over the last couple of years Mm -hmm. because that's the product shot, basically. Uh, And the VFX artists that we work with oftentimes will give me an unrealistically legible and clear and bright screen, and I'm always like, oh, that doesn't look how it would look in real life. But... If you looked at the footage, the raw footage, you'd see that like there's a ton of reflections on it and like even at a phone turned up all the way to its max brightness in a medium shot in a day exterior means that you can't see crap on that phone. And when that's your product shot, mm-hmm. you need to be able to see whatever app we're advertising. And so I I've had to like make peace with the idea that my VFX shots are on, for phone screens in particular are going to privilege the product and be heightened no matter what the reality of shooting those phones looks like. And so to me, actually shooting with the phone off so that you can gather all those reflections tends to be a moot point. And I've started, I've moved back to just like either white or green.
3: And I know I used to really be pro screen off, um, but I'm, I've kind of, Shifted a little bit and then tracking markers too we've said this a million times on the podcast do not put like giant pieces of tape on the four corners if anything put tiny tiny pieces of tape configured as in a Mm -hmm. square in the middle of the screen um not close to the edges because as vfx artists we have to remove those pieces Mm -hmm. of tape and if they're covering stuff that's difficult to rebuild it's hard but if they're just in the middle of the screen you can just kind of like clone stamp some pixels right right next to them Yeah. Um, but they're still trackable. The, the other thing, again, this is on screens. It's all visual effects, but uh, just think about focus. Think, remember that your camera focus should be set to where it would be set to if the thing was in the scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So like this movie I'm working on, a lot of the shots, the screen, the computer isn't that in focus. You know, Like the mm-hmm. actors are in focus sometimes or the desk is in focus and it's really shallow depth of field and they shot anamorphic. And so the director's like, this is a little blurry, you know, the screen. And I'm like, well, I'm just matching it to the computer. The computer is blurry, you know, so I can make it sharp, but it's going to look a little Wrong. fake. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So yeah. Just
3: obviously think of focus. And as a note, and they actually talk about this on um, VFX artists react, the corridor digital uh, show about VFX. It's better to shoot everything sharp and then defocus it in post mm-hmm. than to shoot the thing that you think needs to be soft, soft. Like, it's much easier to push things out of focus than it is to bring things into bringing Bring focus, them into in focus. Post. So yeah, that's interesting. If you're ever like, wait, should we have focus here, here, this, this? Mm-hmm. Just, like, it's better to shoot your elements sharp, you know, if you know for sure it's going to be out of focus. Yeah,
1: that's interesting. Your elements sharp makes me... Th- obviously, a plate is an element, so that makes sense. I guess I was, like, if if I was shooting, like, um. Literally an object on green screen that then we were going to add in or something like that. Certainly that makes complete sense to me. And I understand theoretically why a plate being 100% sharp would make it easier. But I guess I get a little worried that then things get lost in translation. Like I think of a plate as the blueprint. The guide. Yeah, exactly. Because I, I would be annoyed, frankly, and this is a communication thing and a time thing, but I would be annoyed if I wanted most things to fall off and be soft, but mm-hmm. I shot it off sharp and then got the VFX back in 100% sharp. And then, yeah. you know, well, then, then like, your VFX well, artist is not good uh it's pretty well or or more likely i didn't communicate clearly to the vfx artist hey this zone needs to fall off but we shot everything sharp for you to just make it easier on your life you know what i mean yeah hopefully a vfx artist
3: understands like how cameras work and stuff i saw they were talking about the boys on that show and they you know when they shoot explosions and people in front of them flying they shoot Mm -hmm. they're not using green screen they're shooting everyone in the same place Mm -hmm. but they are shooting the explosion separately and the people flying separately. And then some Mm -hmm. people in the foreground watching like over their shoulders separately. And they said that they shoot everything sharp, even though these are layers. Like, you know, the, the people whose shoulders are in front of the camera are like five feet away from the camera. And the explosion is like 300 feet away from the camera, Mm -hmm. but they're shooting them all in focus.
1: And they're building these layers of depth. And let me ask you, and, and then we should move on because this isn't a VFX episode, but I like that very much. My rudimentary VFX expertise or understanding i would if, it, if i was going to do that shot myself i'd be like great i'm going to do all these pieces and then i'm going to throw some ser- sort of blur mm-hmm. on each of these elements basically a 2d 3d move right like throw a slap gaussian blur on the on the shoulder that's in the foreground or whatever and just eyeball it right mm-hmm. yeah I guess the right way to do or the smarter way to do that would be to build it out in 2D, 3D, like throw it, turn them into 3D objects, skip put them right into the right spot and then let the, the camera do the, the rest. What's the right way to do it? And is it helpful, more importantly, is it helpful to shoot a reference where the focus is where you want it to be for the final piece so that the VFX artist can reference the blur later? It's yes. always helpful
3: but, to get references of the blur yeah. and all that stuff. Um, I, I usually eyeball that stuff. I don't use the... I sometimes use the Gaussian blur if it's like something mm-hmm. super blurry, far out of focus in the distance. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's like a more like a rack focus or something, After Effects has a camera lens blur mm-hmm. that does a pretty good job. You can uh, set it to like how many blades your the aperture of your camera has and it makes the bokeh, like the out of focus stuff, mm-hmm. kind of accurate. But it's a really expensive effect so if you have like if you're doing it on like 20 layers you mean cycles wise you mean that yeah it takes a long time to render but yeah so I, i think you know if you're using like nuke or something where you have a little bit more of a 3d environment built into your compositing software you would do that but yeah i i think there's it's literally just what looks good that so my last thing and it'll be real quick is like just be aware of your lenses and vfx like this movie i'm working on shot anamorphic beautiful lenses but it's like total bananas like on the edges of the frame like it's everything's Mm -hmm. distorted Mm -hmm. and when you're adding vfx elements especially things that need to go on and off camera on and off the edge of the frame in theory they should match the distortions of your lenses if you're using really wide lenses or Mm -hmm. anamorphic lenses or or you know vintage lenses just yeah just know that the quality of your vfx will depend on your lenses and like you don't have to do anything special, but just, like, know about it and maybe even mention it to your VFX artist before you shoot and see if it's a concern. Maybe you can do a test or, like you said, a reference to show how things distort differently at the edges of the frame. Yeah. The the middle.
1: Yeah. Um, and also yeah. easy enough to get. Do you know what I mean?
3: Yeah. So, yeah. So, three random... VFX tips,
1: I have I have a million All solid. complaints yeah.
3: about I have a more questions
1: thing. about lens distortion and I feel like I've heard a lot of people talking about chromatic aberration as their secret sauce for VFX shots. But maybe we'll talk about that in another episode.
3: Yeah. I actually like to use that chromatic aberration is when I'm making a fake computer screen. hmm Sure. I like to put a tiny, tiny, tiny bit yeah, on just it. Just
1: a kiss. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
3: But yeah, it's way overused in like the AI art and then like CD,
1: like CG, uh, you know, 3D yeah, rendering yeah. world. It's I mean, not as an aesthetic. I mean, as a kind of like a, another way to blend things in the same way that adding the appropriate lens distortion helps merge yeah. your VFX with your it's the imperfections that make right. things feel right. real.
3: Anyhow, so I've been doing that. Hopefully, hopefully I'll have a, um, some fun shoots coming up soon. I'll let you guys know. But before we get into our main topic, real quick, Matt, what have you been up to? And I know it's related to our main topic, so feel free to segue from what you've been up to, to our topic. Yeah, I
1: shot a fake trailer this last week, the two day shoot, which was nice. We had a little bit of time to kind of dig in and it got me nostalgic for the good old internet comedy days where I think you and I were Mm -hmm. shooting fake trailers pretty regularly, actually. And uh, this one, not unlike those other ones, was really fun because it was emphasizing a specific genre and style and so you could lean in on things a little bit more jokes were very easy to come up with because you kind of all understand like oh we're parodying this type of movie i did it for college humor with like kind of like a more modern horror movie that was a tie-in to get out basically where we took like feeling awkward at parties and turning that into a whole horror genre basically or and you've done a couple more like that tell what are your uh, fake trailers that you've done?
3: Well, so when I worked back at Disney, there was like this is like 10 years ago, but viral 101 was just take a trailer and make fun of it. So, you know, we did like um, the Twilight before Christmas where Santa Claus was mm-hmm. like a vampire and basically copied the Twilight trailer. And- but
1: so you were lifting specific moments. There would be the, the moment where he's like, say it.
3: Yeah, say it santa you right exactly yeah, 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 yeah. um yeah because it's just so fun to come up with those things and remember i did all those quiznos things so i did like star Tourage, which was like a, a, mm-hmm. a i did this star wars meets mash-up. entourage and house of thrones which was like house of cards meets uh, game of thrones and mm-hmm. um and so yeah so you pull things from one one movie and you know bring the characters of an, another movie like what if the characters from harry potter were in mm-hmm. Um, succession or something, you know, like Mm -hmm, how would that be like, Oh, they'd just be doing magic to like change stock portfolios or whatever. So, yeah. And it's like, literally we would just make those and they would get like, uh, you know, at the time, a hundred thousand views, which was a lot. Now it's like Mm -hmm. any idiot gets a hundred thousand views, you know?
1: um but uh we say that like i think that it's not true re- it's not, that's not true at all and it's just more that like oh every talk show the tonight show gets a hundred thousand views on everything they post yeah yeah but there's absolutely. just not room for sketch comedy on the internet anymore
3: it's weird because i feel like i came up just copying shots from trailers mm-hmm. i'd be like ooh, this mm-hmm. we did that whole thing with maze runner where like this guy like slides you know under this door that's closing and running between these maze walls that are closing in on him. And we just like, we just built the maze walls and we just closed them in on our guy, mm-hmm, you know, who mm-hmm. was, and yeah, it's like,
1: instead of this, it's yeah. a
3: sandwich. Well, whatever. the maze runner yeah. was the ways runner. So these kids are using ways to try to find their way out of the maze, you know, and it's, Yeah, yeah. always screwing them over. Were you doing more of a genre parody? Like more genre. Horror yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. So I we, did um, that Charmin commercial where like uh-huh. the, the roommates are, nobody bought toilet paper and it's like a horror film. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's easier when you're more specific than that. But
1: it's funny. I in this one in particular, I got a little dogmatic early on and had to back off of like, well, are we talking like like John Carpenter? Are we talking Sam Raimi or whatever? <laughs> right. Like which are like pretty similar
3: in the grand pretty, scheme
1: of like in, in the grand of our, scheme of things. when yeah. When you're just posting a, a fun video to the Internet to sell some product. Yeah. Right. But like. And I did get pushback that was like, I, you know, I wrote, I referenced Mandy and they were like, Mandy's too gross. <laughs> but and I also was like, okay, like, yeah, that's like a, they got a a the reference yeah, yeah, Yeah. But what I, the reason I mentioned Mandy specifically is uh, because I was like, well, I can get some colorful lights and fog easy. Mm. Yes. And so the reason oftentimes horror trailers work well is because for the same reason that horror movies work well there are certain elements that are quite overt that are still affordable that get an emotional response from people and whether you're doing that for fun for for jokes or trying to actually scare someone sound effects and darkness and a little bit of fake blood go a long way right but were you trying to make
3: it like purposely tropey like hey here's the bathroom mirror we close it and we someone appears you know monster
1: appears well, so that's, that's what we, hit. yes, to the first part of your question, we were trying to make it specifically tropey, but uh, what tropes specifically we were trying to hit became the thing that sort of, the thread that unraveled the sweater, so to speak, you know, and took us a while to, to di- dial in on.
3: And were you, um, was there a product you were advertising or something?
1: Yes, there was. And that I, I'm just alluding to, I'm not saying specifically because it's still in progress.
3: Is it the a lottery ticket? No, it's not. One <laughs> ah, One in a million you chance. You got the ticket. <laughs> Let me ask you, when you are going to do a horror parody, do you mm-hmm. hire the DP that you've worked with 100 times? It's like amazing and you're really good at or You have great relationship mm-hmm. with and they, they can do everything. Or do you hire the horror
1: DP? Um, well, uh, so I was looking on this one. Um, I went for somebody who I knew a, had done it before. He shot one of my previous horror Um, Pieces the thing I did for um for College Humor uh, and Get Out, so I knew we could do that style really well. But also, um, he shot a lot for College Humor, and so I knew that he had a lot of versatility. Because what ends up happening when you're shooting a fake trailer is that in for two setups, you're in um a bodega, and then you move the camera around, and we you've dressed the other end of the room to be you know the president's office or whatever, and so you need somebody who's nimble and quick and gets it and can make it feel like everything makes sense together. Like it is actually all going to be in the same movie, but, but at least with this one, part of the fun was like, what, what movie has all of these elements in it? You know, like we were really going hard in the grab bag of like, you know, we're shy like giants or like Kaiju style fights over a miniature city in one moment and then you know neon fog in another moment and then a clown or what you know all and these are all, all sorts of crazy stuff the same movie it's all supposed to be the same movie yeah
3: yeah but yeah. i find hard with those things just reminded me like one of the biggest issues i would have is we would have enough money or time to build like three of the seven sets we need mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then we would cheat one with like sky or whatever we'd Um, and then we would do green screen and then we'd edit it together with the green screen Would feel great, look good. And then we'd go do the VFX and we're like, uh, this, this sucks. Mm
1: -hmm. It went
3: from like a pretty high production value product to a pretty cheesy looking video. Yeah. Did you have any green screen or did you do any of that stuff?
1: We did, but it was all kind of intentionally knowingly winkingly green screen. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I was curious, Oren, when you were shooting. Yeah. Locations was a tricky thing. Um, we found there's like a handful of standing sets in Los Angeles. This is one of the thing that's things that's the most fun about Los Angeles. It's like, you know, you can go to a location that's customized to have a jail and a hospital room and a, you know, a classroom all in the same location. And so mm-hmm. every once in a while you're like shooting a sketch series or Something, re- an anthology, something really eclectic, and it lends itself really well to these fake trailers. And you kind of end up writing around it a little bit. You're kind of like, oh, yeah. well, we got this go? prison cell. So we went to a new spot called Avenida Studios. It's They've only been open for six months. Mm. They were awesome. They rolled out the red carpet for us. And were you doing yours it was a comedy right like you're making Mm -hmm, fun of trailers so yeah yeah definitely
3: yeah i think in the intro to this episode we were talking about when you would make a fake trailer and you'd brought up maybe as a proof of Mm -hmm. concept or you're trying to sell your sci-fi film or your drama or Mm -hmm. uh, something else like a rom-com have you ever done that like been part of a fake trailer that's not making fun of trailers because it making fun of trailers is just much easier and you have all these cards right that are making mm-hmm. jokes right like right like, te- right, right, right. yeah in between um and you're and you you are trying to follow that three-act structure of a trailer but you're kind of making fun of it as well right right but when you need to make something that's not comedic or that's not a spoof mm-hmm. it's harder
1: what yeah. like, what's your experience with that yeah so uh my v- not my first web my big my breakout web series we'll say uh, Squaresville, which was is about ten years old now. We kickstarted the first season, and we needed footage. You know, like I'd cast everything. I just needed a little bit of money to get it going, and um, I'd written this fake trailer based off of the uh, the first handful of episodes that I'd written. I kind of like was like, okay, well, I'll pick and choose things a little bit, and I added a few little scenes that would sort of hint at the tone and vibe and scope, and then. Uh, it was one of the first things I'd ever really done, you know, mm-hmm. I think about it all the time because I knew so little that I was kind of always surprised that it cut together, even you know right um, like, oh, this worked. I can't believe it because now I know all of the mistakes that I was, you know, I was just kind of like blindfolded and teetering along the edge of a cliff or. Two years. The thing that you realize very quickly is that it's hard to have actors give you one line, oftentimes the most important emotional pivotal line of a scene or a series arc or whatever, without just shooting the whole scene. And, and also, I learned that you may think you know what's going to be the best thing for the trailer, but you probably don't. You probably should just shoot the whole thing. And that's what we ended up doing is we ended up shooting at least the scene from which
3: each line was lifted. Oh, interesting. And did they make it into the final show?
1: Final series? Yeah. Yeah, they did. They did. So what ended up happening... Is that I would do kind of like longer form hero episodes and then I would do what I called mini-sodes, which were just like little vignettes that were meant to be a minute and a half long or so. They'd probably just be a TikTok now that weren't nearly as story oriented. Um, and those were the ones that basically I shot and then used them as Kickstarter incentives. So whenever we hit a certain threshold, I would release a new mini-episode.
3: I never did that. I mean, I might have like shot a scene that had like five lines of dialogue and then cut it down to three lines of dialogue. Mm -hmm. I do find when I did a lot of those fake trailers is that it would be a little less like a a real trailer has like one or two lines per scene. And Mm -hmm. my fake trailers would have like three or four lines a scene. You'd have just like tight little
1: scenes basically. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Because you're setting up. A lot of things and you're making fun of something that exists and you're trying to, you know, do something
1: you, you're you're working on multiple levels. So sometimes it helped to have just a little yeah, bit more dialogue. Bit more Did you ever find yourself being like, OK, I know I'm going to cut into the scene a little later, but I just need to give this actor like a couplet or two just to get them into the scene, you know yeah like like in sketch you call it chuffa right like that's the the non sequitur mm-hmm. before you get into it so like oh well, well Oren, i can't believe you paid for the check thanks so much oh obama you know right. like yeah and also oh, yeah obama is the important part but like you know you need something just to like right fill the the gap between walking through the door and taking a seat at the bar or whatever yeah and i would do
3: that i shoot like entrances and exits that you never really need at all but A lot of times you're like, oh, we need a, we have a little gap. What can we put in here? Mm -hmm. Uh, Should we get some stock footage, establishing shot of the city? Or should we just like take a shot of our actor, like leaving the room, you know, Mm -hmm. from a different scene and just kind of stick it here in slow motion.
1: It makes me think of, I've been shooting a lot of um, testimonial style commercials lately that that I'm sure people have seen on like Hulu or basic cable, a lot of like stuff that like is meant to feel and oftentimes is just shot on a person's cell phone. Mm-hmm. You know, just like, wow, I can't believe this thing showed up right on my doorstep. It's delicious or so easy to use or whatever. <laughs> and it's real people shot on their phones just talking about how good a product is. Um, and I've realized that in those montage style pieces. That um, what I've really needed in between sound bites of like wow this is so easy i had no idea or whatever or like you gotta get you gotta listen to just shoot it is a uh, little exclamation points like just a person going like mm, or like wow or like ha, can you, you know like those moments yeah uh, are hard to script and really important yeah like the things that you need more than anything else honestly
3: All of that stuff is super important. It's getting the little pieces. But I got to be honest, like, I don't know if nowadays I would shoot a trailer as a pitch uh, for a movie. I think shooting like a scene, if I was pitching like one of my projects, I would probably not make a trailer just because I know it's not going to be.
1: Good, you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's gonna feel kind of cheap and i'd rather just shoot it doesn't have famous people in it yeah you know you just kind of you see the actuality of it and it kind of bums people out yeah
3: well it's like those parody trailers i was saying like if you have if you make a fake trailer for your movie and half the scene half the shots are great and the other half are like just feel really cheap kind of brings the whole thing down mm-hmm. but if you can get a scene and then a deck and then mm-hmm. you know that you're even a rip obviously, like you've done fake trailers as pitches
1: using footage from other movies. Uh, I think and, and I'll say that's this easier. Um, one time I got really good feedback on it. And then more recently, I put one together that people didn't respond to, frankly. And it what, I don't think it was empirically that the quality of the piece was bad. I mean, you saw it. It was like there were maybe instances where it would be better to have a different movie or whatever. But, like, you know, when you have the whole internet's worth of clips to choose from. Most people I think can put something together that's legitimately cool. Um, But it's always going to be a half step off from what you want it to be. You know, it's like, I know that I've got too much Seth Rogen in this or like this person, this actor is too old for the character, but the shot is perfect. And I know the color temperatures don't really match. And I tried to, Get them, right. retime them. and They just look a little muddy. So I let them, you know, you're, yeah. there's a lot of excuses and caveats no matter what. Unless
3: yeah, you're shooting challenges. custom footage. Yeah, yeah, doing that. But you're not judged on them, you know, because you didn't shoot
1: them. So. Sure. Good point. Uh, yeah, But yeah, I think. But, but no matter what I'm saying, it's the potential is that it still wouldn't. It didn't help, I guess, right. in, in my circumstance, yeah, even I, though I wasn't judged in the same way that you're describing.
3: I feel like you're ripomatic that you made. Your concept is just like really unique and your tone is unique and I think sometimes especially in treatments and stuff we try to average out <laughs> our tone by combining like mm-hmm. things that sit on either side of it and sometimes it works and sometimes it just muddies things up a little bit. So uh you know, I think the reason we make these things is to clearly pitch our ideas to people. And sometimes I think with a project like yours like the script and your Verbal pitch maybe does a better job of selling mm-hmm, the tone than things that are yeah. like kind of like it's kind of like, mm-hmm. it's kind of like this and it's kind of like this and it's kind of like this and it this is kind of the rhythm. So I I don't know. That's just kind of me thinking about because I you had done the one before, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago that I thought was like just like a real, real perfect setup. Like I could see the movie from that ripomatic, but that it had that's
1: it, the one that got negative responses
3: the gun one we bought a gun oh, oh no that that one did that one got well yeah yeah, yeah. that was well um, received Yeah. i think what worked about that one is it it was a little more like a dark apatow film or something you know like mm-hmm, you can mm-hmm. kind of describe it in like two words And i think your new movie is like it's a little bit of like genre bending in a way that i don't think you have a ton of great
1: comparables mm-hmm. yeah and just to get specific for listeners so that we're not too vague uh to your point I think you're averaging things you're averaging all of the different elements out and my film, I call it a comedy horror because it's funnier than it is scary. But as soon as you put one shot from any horror movie, even if no one's getting slashed and burnt or whatever in it, it does cast uh, an aura around the rest of the piece that just feels like, Oh, this is scary or this is dark or whatever. Even though uh, that's not exactly what I'm aiming for with the film, so we'll see. Yeah, it's tricky, and and I think trends
3: change too. Like when you had that kind of killer mm-hmm. and anim- rip-o-matic that everyone was excited about, it was like a time where people hadn't seen like a million of them, you know. Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. I think you've seen so many. I mean, me, you know, I've been like boasting about my awesome PDF treatments for years, and now today I'm like, eh those are boring it's over yeah Uh, so yeah things change um and i think a little bit about trailers too like uh, i i think they're they're not as novel a tool to pitch as they used to be um Mm -hmm. and i think even in the comedy world like as a a spoof i mean from a guy that made i must have made like 30 or 40 of them like i don't know that I would watch one as, as readily mm-hmm. as I would have back in the day when it was a little harder
1: to mm-hmm. make them. But now that we're kind of well, oversaturated. I mean, I think that there was that magic time in the internet where like like you would see a trailer mashup. You'd be like, oh, oh yeah. broke back to the future. Or like, yeah, my what boss The Shining <laughs> was, a, was a, a comedy or something like yeah. that where people were just remixing video footage in a way that we literally couldn't have done. Yeah. You my,
3: know, f- two years before that. My boss at Disney uh, cut this one called Must Love Jaws and mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg, like, wrote him a letter about how much he loved it. I mean, <laughs> that's how special they were at the time. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, Must Love Dogs mixed with Jaws um, or Jaws cut as like a rom-com As rom-com. Yeah, feature. that's really fun. I'm going to watch that. Anyhow, I, I know we should wrap up, but I guess just like some general trailer tips. I just want to be prescriptive for a second is just... Uh, Most of you probably know this, but if you are either cutting a trailer for something you made, your short or your feature or writing a script for a trailer or doing a parody trailer or a pitch trailer, just really remember that trailers have like a very specific structure that they're their own genre Mm -hmm. and watch trailers, study them. And like one of the best things you can do is just to start off with three pieces of music, three tracks Mm -hmm. um, that are going to split up your three acts of your trailer
1: can I mention a trend in trailers that we thought about on this one, actually? So uh, as a result of the skip button on YouTube, now Mm -hmm. all trailers have a mini trailer before the real trailer starts. That's about five seconds long, basically like a Logan Paul type of thing where they're like, this
3: is the coolest shot in the whole video.
1: I think The the Marvel Marvel movies are an even better example where it's like you get Dr. Strange and the villain or a tease of the villain. And like, the craziest shot in the movie and the logo before the trailer, you know, the trailer starts. And sometimes they'll even be like the trailer for the new doctor (laughs) strange movie starts now or whatever, you know, I mean, if you want to maybe get
3: a lot of views on YouTube, maybe something that's important, but I think, well,
1: but it is a filmic language now. So like, if you're trying to make something that's meant to feel real for some reason, whatever that reason is, that is something that we observed. And again, because it was likely going to be airing a lot on digital, it was helpful for us for the same reasons that it's helpful for Marvel movies, even, you know.
3: Yeah. So anyway, trailers, I love them. Well, cool. Well, Matt, thanks for talking to me about trailer shooting. There's I mean, there's so much we haven't covered. And I I think between the two of us, we know quite a few trailer editors and we should have uh, one of them on. I want to have uh, Adam Mays who cut like every big comedy trailer, like all the hangover movies and stuff. Um, I'm going to try to get him on because he's told me some crazy stories about mm-hmm. what makes a good trailer and how some movies are just really difficult to cut a trailer for because that thing that we've mentioned before, no one in the movie ever says what the movie is about.
1: I, well, you know, my wife's maybe her biggest regret about are the movie that she directed that I produced. See you next Christmas available on all streaming platforms. Now go on iTunes, go grab it. Um, it's that no one says like, uh, the what? premise of the film, like I keep coming to this party and seeing the same people every year and it's great to watch them grow and our, all of our lives have changed and evolved and we only are, see each other at this party. Yes. Well, she's in the movie, so it's a very easy line to ADR. Sure. That's true. That's true. Orin, do you have a minute or two more for an unpaid en- endorsement? Unpaid endorsement. Yes. Unpaid endorsement. Orin, we were talking about pitching a uh, thing that we often talk about on this show. Mm-hmm. And you recommended a podcast episode, a podcast episode of All the Hacks where a man comes on to talk about what he calls the whack method, which is a way of just boiling down his pitching style into something super concise and getting it out in three minutes or less, basically. And it was a great episode. It was really helpful. And I think that all of our listeners should go listen to it. My endorsement is uh, for that episode of All the Hacks with uh, Brant Pindivic. Um, but yeah, it was great. Thanks, Oren. Um, and then my other one is for a musician who I discovered on TikTok. His name is Bradley Thomas Turner. And I actually messaged him to be like, hey, I love your music and I'd love to use it in a video. And we've, uh, uh, struck up a conversation. He's letting me use the music, which is really great. I'm specifically endorsing Bradley, Bradley Thomas Turner. Like I said, like kitschy, fun, um, uh, really great, really, uh, Evocative music, but also in general, I'm endorsing the concept of making friends with other artists on the internet, which is a thing that I have kind of stopped doing over the years. But like a lot of my best friends, separate from college, all all of the people that I got to know in the scene out here in Hollywood, I was internet friends with them first, you know? And so I thought, dang, I should be messaging people whose art I admire more because it's it's nice to hear that from people and it's nice to um you know have something to contribute to to different artists and stuff and so uh bradley thomas turner and just like hit somebody up on tiktok if you think they're great and like there's a way that you can work together like having an actual pitch i think is really helpful i was like hey i love your music i'd love to use it in this video is that okay but it was really nice i love that idea one of
3: my director buddies mike ashton i met because i just saw his videos online and i was like these are so good and i
1: emailed them like questions about them and then we became buddies yeah there you go and before you know it you're like getting introduced to their different crew members you're putting each other up for jobs it's like uh yeah it's like, it's like what we networking. used to do yeah net yeah network networking's kind of like a maybe a, a four-letter word for some people but also just like community building helping each other all that stuff that's part of networking too so it doesn't have to be bad anyway those are my endorsements or what you got Okay, two quick ones. Uh, there's a Twitter thread
3: from this guy named David Wappel, W-A-P-P-E-L. He's written like for some HBO shows and done some things, but the thread is called, here's a master thread of the 10 most common missed opportunities in scripts and screenplays from emerging or aspiring screenwriters. Uh, Ooh, And he, you know, there's a lot of these threads on Twitter, but uh, I liked his because it was very kind of, he, he has like very succinct, um, descriptions like not number one not providing emotional glimpses into character and then he, there's a twitter thread you can go in to break it out to like what he means by that you know not creating dilemmas my other uh, endorsement is if you um are putting in a pantry in your house oh tell me more actually i am put a freaking outlet in the pantry
4: mm. Yeah, put, we have one put outlets yeah, yeah. in
3: closets pantries everything in the bathroom, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like if you have like a cabinet that you're installing, mm-hmm. put in, yeah, put an outlet in there and your blow dryer can be plugged in. You just open it up and it's already plugged in.
1: Yeah. Not that yeah. I use
3: a blow dryer, but anything electric. I love, we put a pantry by our kitchen and we have an outlet in there and we charge the Dyson. Well, cool. Well, anyway, thank you for listening. We'd love to hear from you what you think about trailers, what you think about the effects and about animated gifts and treatments and toasters. Please email us. We're just shoot it at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. You can also tweet at us or contact us anywhere else on social media. We're at just shoot it pod pretty much everywhere. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at smitey
1: pileg and on Instagram. I'm at O Kaplan and I'm at Mr. Matt Enloe across all social media. This episode was edited by Noah Bashore. Thanks, Noah. He also recommends the film Barbarian, which is probably going to be too scary for me. It looks (laughs) real scary. It's my understanding that the less you know about it, the better. So if you like scary movies, Noah's recommending Barbarian. And he's going to go shoot his movie uh, any day now. So good luck, Noah. The music you're listening to is provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist, Jazar. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.